Podcast New York. What's up, Dueling Decades? This is Wax. Peace to all you guys, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. Will it be the 90s or the 80s? Beanie Babies or Crack Babies? Will it be Nirvana or Madonna? Maybe Britney, maybe Whitney. Do you like new metal or new wave? Dave Grohl or Super Dave? I don't know. But now the battle begins. Dueling Decades. Let's see who wins. Dueling Decades. Broadcasting from the Podcast New York Studios, it's the adult-only retro game show where the decades battle for supremacy. Because it's your history, we just fight for it. Welcome back to Dueling Decades. I am Mark James, and this week, we once again bring you a bodacious birthday battle, as I will be bringing the best of my eighth birthday, February 5th, 1986, alongside the other duelers and the decades they will be fighting for. First off, showering us with the gifts from the 1970s, say hello to Man Crush. Yes, it was my birthday this week. That's why we get to do another birthday duel. I turned 43, but on this episode, I get my first birthday, April 13th, 1979. And it was a great day, sort of. <laughs> also joining us on the panel and blowing <laughs> out the candles for the 90s, it's the professor, Drew Zachman. What's up, guys? Happy to be back. I have my 18th birthday uh, which was April 29th, 1998. And as always here on the show, we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. So this week's guest judge is the multi-talented movie aficionado and host of the movie Dumpster Podcast. All rise for Judge Joe LaScola. Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges' coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And in the event of a tie, after all five rounds, we will go to a final wildcard round. Remember, duelers, to review the show. Listen, subscribe, and play along at home. It's time for more Dueling Decades. All right, let's go right down to Joe LaScola for the coin toss. Here we go. We got it right here. All right, Drew Zachman, the coin toss this week will be between you and I. Why don't you call it? You know what? I'm I'm gonna go tails here, Joe. Give it to me. Give it to me straight, buddy. All right, here we go, man. Tails. All right. There you go. <laughs> I won the coin toss. <laughs> All right, Drew Zachman. You win the coin toss and you get to select our first category. Yeah, so I am gonna go with uh you know what? I'm gonna go with TV. Because I'm pretty sure I knew exactly what I was doing on this particular day. So on this birthday of mine. I got something right on April 29th, 1998. I'm pretty sure I watched this game because I watched a lot of them. But uh, it was on WPIX 11, Yankees versus the Seattle Mariners. 
And uh, I, I'm a big Yankees fan, and this was a fun game to watch as, as both of these teams back in 98 were absolutely stacked. The Mariners had Alex Rodriguez, who was actually a giant piece of shit. Uh, they had Edgar Martinez, Ken Griffey Jr., and Heathcliff Slocum, who really like wasn't that good. He was like an average pitcher. I honestly just wanted to say Heathcliff. Uh, now the Bronx Bombers had Derek Jeter. Bernie Williams, Tino Martinez, who actually came over to New York from the Mariners a couple years earlier, replacing the legendary Donald uh, Donald Arthur Mattingly. I'm going middle name here, guys, uh, who just celebrated his 60th birthday, by the way. So happy birthday, Donnie Baseball. Uh, Joe Girardi was behind the plate for New York, and David Cohn was on the mound. And we wound up getting a lot of offense. We had home runs from Griffey and Jeter. Jorge Posada also went yard. David Cohn pitched a hell of a game, striking out 11 in six innings. And we got to see the Sandman himself, Mariano Rivera, come in the ninth inning to lock things down for the save as the Yankees won 8-5. to So, April 29th, little Drew sitting home. Well, not little. I guess I was 18 back then. Uh, teenage Drew, who is probably a giant asshole, sitting home watching the Yankees play the Mariners. All right, Man Crush, what did you bring for the television round? All right, so let's go to April 13th, 1979. For this selection, I I was going to go with something that started or ended like we normally do. Uh, but for one, I didn't have that option. And uh, But more importantly... I was more interested in seeing what was on TV that evening and think about the possibility of my parents plopping one-year-old man crush in front of the boob tube <laughs> for my birthday. And honestly, I've, I've never been that into cartoons. It, and honestly, if you're in the same boat as me, please let me know. Cause I feel like I am the only one <laughs> because everyone seems to have their cartoon phase. And I just didn't have that maybe, uh, maybe a year or two with He-Man and GI Joe. But other than that, hmm. I just didn't like cartoons, so it got me thinking. Like, what the hell was I watching in lieu of cartoons to make me not enjoy them? I do have vague memories of living in our house in the Bronx and watching The Incredible Hulk. I don't know how young I was, but I do have those memories. So I know for a fact I was plopped in front of the television and I was probably watching this show that night. It wasn't The Incredible Hulk, but this is close. It's season one, episode 10, Dukes of Hazard. And shockingly, this episode, it's where Roscoe deputizes Bo and Luke Duke, uh, the same guy that's on their ass for all 147 episodes. He makes them fucking cops all because he's uh, <laughs> he's inept and he's such a pussy that he won't go and pick up Rocky Marlowe, who is apparently public enemy number one through ten. And that's according to Roscoe, of course. Uh, I actually, I had to go and rent this one for $1.99 last night on Amazon because I don't own it. Uh, my backup pick, I couldn't even rent because it's not even available on streaming. And this is why I own thousands of DVDs. Honestly, go and get yourself some physical media because of this. Uh, but anyways, if, if you're in the mood for uh, skinny dipping, <laughs> skinny dipping, double, <laughs> double crosses, the Dukes with badges, <laughs> A chick that mugs a cop, steals her identity without getting in trouble, sweaty boss hog, Bo Duke firing exploding arrows. I mean, what one-year-old doesn't want that? Enos being a moron, Roscoe being a pussy, Cooter having the best name humanly possible. Then go and check out Deputy Dukes. It's season one, episode 10 of Dukes of Hazard. And Mike, Mike Ranger said this was the one to pick, too. I, I, I had to ask him, of course. <laughs> I was going to say, you had me at skinny dipping double cross. That sounds yeah. awesome. 
Well, this, this is what happens. So the, the episode kicks off and uh, the Dukes are like making out with these chicks in cars and they just won some contest for a hundred bucks. I didn't even hear what the contest was and I didn't want to rewind it. So I don't even know what it was, but they won this hundred bucks and the girls are like, oh, we should go in the lake. We should go skinny dipping. So the, the two of them, Bo and Luke do get completely nude and the girls pull shotguns on them and steal their hundred dollars. Oh, man. <laughs> and which leads them to get arrested. And I, I don't know, I guess they were already on probation. I didn't watch uh, episode one through nine, but I'm, I'm sure they're always on probation with, uh, with Roscoe. And uh, yeah. So it was the dudes nude. The, the chicks didn't get it, but they got theirs in the end. I'll tell you that spoiler. <laughs> wow. It's a good one. All right, gentlemen. So for my television pick, we're going to tune into an episode of MacGyver. From its very first season, originally aired February 5th, 1986. Now, this was episode 14, entitled Countdown. Uh, A cruise ship is the target of a terrorist attack, and it has three bombs hidden aboard. MacGyver and a friend from the agency are asked to dismantle the bombs before it is too late for the crew and the passengers. Uh, This episode is actually one of the best and highest rated of the entire first season of MacGyver. It ties, it's, it's tied at 8.2 on IMDb with the uh, season finale of uh, season number one. Now the episode's plot is very similar to the 1974 film Juggernaut, uh, which itself is based on a real life incident, but that one was involving the Queen Elizabeth II. Now in this episode, we learn a few interesting things about MacGyver. One, MacGyver has never played golf. And two, (laughs) according to Pete, MacGyver was in Vietnam in a bomb disposal unit. Now, think about this, guys. Although he probably (laughs) wouldn't have even been there for long, America was out of Vietnam by 1973, and that's when MacGyver was a senior in college, according to other episodes. So if you do the math, I mean, MacGyver was born, it (laughs) says, in 1951, 1969, he would have been 18. He has a double degree. He was a reservist, bro. It just doesn't add up for MacGyver here. (laughs) Uh, So by the time he would have gone through basic training and shipped out, we were out of there. So Richard Dean Anderson (laughs) would go on to do 139 episodes of MacGyver over its seven-year run. And uh, believe it or not, the show has won four primetime Emmys. Uh, Cool side note. When MacGyver disarms the bomb in this episode, the timer stops at 007. Kind of a nice little nod to uh, Agent 007, Mr. James Bond, (laughs) because we all know MacGyver is just the redneck James Bond. (laughs) The paper clips. (laughs) So that's my pick for the television round. Let's throw it down to Judge Joe LaScola for the ruling. Oh, boy. Well, you know what? Uh, I'm not a sports guy, so guess what I'm not watching? (laughs) <laughs> that fucking I had Derek game. Jeter. <laughs> my my mother was a huge Jeter fan, man. But I, I man, no, thank you. Heath I was Cliff upstairs watching like bad movies or something. The guy's name was Heathcliff. I'd rather watch the cartoon with the cat. I don't know, man. <laughs> that was one I can get behind for some odd reason. I, I used to oh, like that was the one cartoon, yeah. Um. And then as far as, ah, geez, so it's it's MacGyver and it's uh, them Duke boys. Let's see. Ah. I didn't watch a ton of MacGyver, and to be and to be fair, I haven't watched a ton of uh, the Dukes of Hazard. but if I had to pick one of those, especially the, those two episodes, 
Um, I'm probably going for the Dukes only because like, what do we got? Exploding arrows and skinny dipping, <laughs> holding people at gunpoint naked for a hundred dollars. Um, and you know, the good old fashioned car chases, man. I don't know, dude. Uh, yeah, si sign me up for them Duke boys, definitely. <laughs> All right, Man Crush, you pick up a point here in the first round, but more importantly, you take control of the board and get to select our next category. All right, I'm going to go with news, but I will say there was a dope-ass car chase in that. Of course, it wasn't even in their uh, their ride. The What is that, a Challenger? They It was actually the, uh, here's the spoiler, they stole the those chicks from the beginning. They find them. They steal their car, and uh, he <laughs> fires an arrow into it. <laughs> but uh, they do yeah, in dude. a police car. They jump. I don't even know how it got in the air. It's kind of like you know when you pull a wheelie, you just go. You know, you pull your body up. I feel yeah. like those guys just did that in the front seat, and any car just jumped <laughs> because that's what happened. Because the uh, the guys that were chasing them, they didn't even attempt it because there was nothing to jump. I thought I was like. How the fuck did that just happen? I was, oh, I was puzzled, but uh, it was season one. <laughs> they had those Snoop Dogg <laughs> hydraulics. All right, so let's go to the news. Uh, let's go April 13th, 1979. I came across this article. It's in the Daily News. And I always find these types of articles interesting. It's hard to picture a time before the internet where we got news and we just trusted that it was correct because it wasn't like you were going to get an update on the news story 45 minutes later or even sooner like we do nowadays you can go on twitter and you're like no nah, that's wrong well, here it is uh it's such a simpler time i miss it but it's fun to play the what if game with new stories like this one so let's dive headfirst into some 70s jiggle tv all right so we, we got this uh this article it's titled barbara bach and wings for angels so let me just uh, preface this and give you guys a little backstory. So at this point in 1979, Charlie's Angels, they were finishing up their third season on ABC. And this show was a ratings juggernaut since its inception in 1976. Uh, season one, it was fifth in the ratings. Season two was fourth in the ratings. People were loving their Jiggle TV, which is, to me, it's actually pretty funny because the ABC executives, they initially told Aaron Spelling that this was one of the worst ideas that they ever heard when he pitched it to them. But anyhow, so season three happens. Ratings start to slide. The show finishes at 12th. And Kate Jackson apparently was tired of all the shitty scripts and the long hours. And at the same time, allegedly, Aaron Spelling wanted to get rid of her because her acting sucked. And the only reason she was on the show to begin with was because they needed her like star power for the pilot because at the time Farrah Fawcett and Jackie Smith, they were unknowns. And then spelling wanted to get rid of Kate Jackson at the end of the first season, but Farrah Fawcett like blew up in popularity and she ends up leaving the show. So once again, Kate Jackson, she had to stick around for that name power. And then Cheryl Ladd came on to replace Farrah Fawcett. So her jiggle was worthy spelling. Like he tried to oust Jackson again, <laughs> Uh, at the end of season two, ABC said no. So now comes season three. Ratings are starting to slip. ABC's on board to get rid of Jackson, and boom, fired. She's gone. So now Spelling has to come up with another like amazing replacement, just like he did with Cheryl Ladd. So this article right here, it claims that Barbara Bach is the next big star to join the cast of Charlie's Angels, to replace Kate Jackson. And I quote this from the article. It says, if she does become the third angel, she'll actually be the fifth, which 
makes sense because the other two have left or been fired. And I'm saying she will. Barbara will become a household name overnight and pick up plenty of dough from endorsements. Oh, with this, I would say perhaps they should have gotten some confirmation from ABC or maybe like box agent at ICM <laughs> because it never happened. The, uh, the former bomb beauty, she would end up not being on the show. Instead, they gave that part to Shelly Hack. And on an episode of Carson that came out in May of 1979, Box said that she lost the audition for Charlie's Angels because they felt that she was too sophisticated and that she was not American. All right. So wow. just think about this. Had they had the internet in 1979, they would have known that she was born in fucking Queens. Like, <laughs> what? Uh, unfortunately, this would it spells the end to Jiggle TV. Sad for all of us. The show went from 12th to 20th to a measly 59th in the ratings before getting canceled in 1981. And even sadder than that, Barbara Bach basically flames out after she didn't get this role. She went on to pose for uh, Playboy in 1981, and then she stopped acting by 1986. So that's why I say it's fun to kind of play the what-if game, because if you have Barbara Bach in this role, does this last longer? Like, does the show have uh, more? We always like to say, does something has legs? The show would have had legs if they had Barbara Bach. <laughs> and Jiggle. And Jiggle. Oh, I yeah. mean, pff, it's a win-win. But yeah, that's uh, that's a new story I got. It's uh, Barbara Bach in the wings for nice. the Angels. I feel like we need a flow chart. Yeah. <laughs> I could make a board back here now. <laughs> now, who do you think had the best jiggle? Cheryl Ladd is uh trick question. Know. It's Bosley. <laughs> <laughs> you son of a bitch. All right, Drew Zachman. What did you bring for the news round? All right. So I, I found something. It wasn't on April 29th. It was on April 30th. So I hope, I hope you guys are okay with that. Um, but uh, we would like to interrupt your after-school cartoon for this live suicide. Uh, <laughs> doesn't get any better, guys. Uh, so a man, Daniel V. Jones, uh, who's from California, who was diagnosed as HIV positive, also had cancer uh, after finding a growth on his neck, wound up basically committing suicide on national tv now when you have someone who believes he's going to die you kind of get this situation where jones wanted to draw attention to his ordeal with health maintenance organizations or hmos uh i guess he was also not happy with health insurance back then now he said that you know he was in pain because of mistreatment by the hmo uh in whose care he had been placed you know he, he complained that it would take him a month to uh, you know schedule an appointment uh, with a doctor and another month to get the results of a test. So it was just taking forever to kind of, you know, get through all the, the bullshit that is health insurance pretty much. And he was beyond fed up. And uh, Jones basically went to uh, a freeway in Los Angeles and um, he unfurled a large square banner with white hand lettering that read, HMOs are in it for the money. Live free, love safe, or die. So... Uh, he made the banner spef uh, specifically for the occasion and displayed it for the news helicopters to see, which they clearly did. Now, as authorities prepared to negotiate with him, uh, Jones suddenly returned back to his truck and sat in the front seat. Now, he's like in this car, like on this like uh, overpass, basically, of, of the freeway. And um, he wasn't going to hurt anybody else. He was just basically trying to draw attention to the fact that, you know, he's been kind of, you know, dealing with all this bullshit from the, his HMO. And uh, so he goes, you know, the authorities are trying to negotiate with him. He goes back to his car 
And intending to take his own life, he ignites a Molotov cocktail inside his truck. And the vehicle suddenly burst into flames and was set ablaze. And uh, Jones got out of the vehicle, however, ran across the freeway as he was engulfed in flames and smoke with his hair, pants, and everything was on fire, basically. Uh, he tried to pat out the flames, managed to peel off his pants, uh, and then continued to wander about. Just kind of, He was just, like dazed and confused at this point. And uh, it looked like he was about to jump off the freeway. However, he changed his mind, went back to the to the truck and wound up using the shotgun and shot himself under the chin. Now, wait a second. The whole time he was on fucking fire. <laughs> he's like, wait a second. I'm not going to do it. Okay. Let me go. He's get like, the he's like, basically he's like, I don't want to burn to death. Yeah. Let me shoot. He myself. stopped, yeah. dropped and rolled. He had a lot. Of, he had a lot of stuff in his truck, basically Molotov oh, cocktails, shotguns. Um, yeah. So, you, you know, puts a shotgun under his chin, pulls the trigger, falls to the ground. Cameras are still rolling. And playing the event live to viewers watching at home. And it was a Thursday afternoon and witnessed by many children whose after-school cartoons had been interrupted to broadcast the incident. Which kind of reminded me of, uh, oh, what was that guy's name from Pennsylvania? The filter song was after him. Um, uh, R. Bud Dwyer. Hey man, nice shot. Like That was also right after school, basically. And that was also aired locally on TV uh, in Harrisburg. So... Yeah, so that's what we have. I have a suicide. <laughs> so not only did you not go with your birth date, but then you brought the sadness too. It was a day after, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. No, I, I couldn't find any news that was really worthy. This was a, you know what? I want to talk about this because health insurance is kind of shitty. So I felt like let's, uh, <laughs> let's, let's draw some attention to it. That's what Jones wanted. Man. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, this is going to be a rough segue. <laughs> I'm going to try to uplift the show a little bit and talk about some fond memories. Because, you know, I found my news pick in the Daily News out of New York, February 5th, 1986. Now it's an article looking at what's hot and what's not in the toy world. What's remarkable about this article, it has one of the worst headlines I have ever seen in the history of this show. And it reads, a look at Toy Fair. The playing's the thing. The playing's the thing. Is that like some kind of weird, shitty take on plaything? Yeah, I, I have no clue. For a toy? <laughs> Fire that person. Well, yeah. the article gets better from there. It goes on and says, <laughs> boulders that become robots, a Rambo action figure, a doll that makes sucking sounds when bottle fed, adult VCR games. These are among the playthings that analysts say will make 1986 an especially exciting year for the toy industry. A feline version of the hugely successful Pound Puppies, as well as Cabbage Patch Astronauts, should generate a lot of interest, said analysts. <laughs> the winners will be electronic toys and plush stuffed pets. Here's what analysts said about specific toys. Tonka's Rock Lords. They're boulders that transform into robots. They are highly regarded. And Hasbro's, get this, Transformers, capital <laughs> T, capital F. <laughs> Hasbro's Transformers, robots that can be changed into cars, planes, and other vehicles, are expected to continue to sell well. Rambo and accessories made by Colico seem headed for stardom. Now Hasbro's My Buddy, the doll for boys, is going to see another good year while Kid's Sister a new tomboyish companion for girls, is predicted to ring up sales. Now, what about the flops? The big question mark is Teddy Ruxpin. <laughs> there is a major return problem with Teddy Ruxpin. They don't work. 
The analyst, <laughs> <laughs> the analyst interview did not hold out much hope for a female fashion doll called Gem by Hasbro. He said, Aww. I don't think America's ready for a doll with dark purple hair. <laughs> so that's what I got for the news round. It's a look at the toy futures from 1986. So, so not only did they get English wrong with the title, but they got basically <laughs> the ones that they said we were going to suck were good. Correct. They got everything wrong, including their English and grammar. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Um, real quick, I got a question. Adult VCR games like nightmare and stuff like that yeah. or like clue the vcr game shit like that okay and then when you when you first said that i'm like what erotic <laughs> vcr game they had that right next to the teddy ruxpin booth <laughs> it did come right after the uh the doll that makes sucking sounds it sure did yeah it was curious placement in the article wait what was the name of the doll that made sucking sounds and why would you want a doll that made sucking sounds <laughs> Baby suck a lot, man. You never had that as a kid? <laughs> I, I kind of wish I did at this point. Oh, no, I don't want to say that. <laughs> Strike that from the record. <laughs> All right, let's go oh, right geez. down to Joe LaScola from the Movie Dumpster Podcast for the ruling on the news round. Oh, geez. I'm sorry, man, but that 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 while it's a fucking wild story and the idea of somebody being on fire <laughs> and still having wits about themselves to be like, oh, shit, am I going to am I going to fucking jump? No, I'm not going to jump. I got to take my pants off. No, wait a second. I'm going to go back to the fucking car and shoot myself in the head just to stop this madness. Um no, no way. Oh. <laughs> That's such a bummer, dude. You're interrupting my fucking real Ghostbusters. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Um. So let's see. I didn't watch like any Charlie's Angels, but uh, Jiggle TV sounds wonderful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this this was in an article from 1979. Like that's how they put it. I never even heard of jiggle tv before <laughs> i you know a baywatch immediately jumped true to my mind. true and i'm like is that i guess that's jiggle that's like TV, 90s jiggle like, tv they brought it back yeah like super soft core <laughs> <laughs> slow-mo running from the beach yeah slow-mo boobies bouncing up and down whatever yeah as as, as uh appealing as that sounds and 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 the that her uh i forgot her name already the Bar but, barbara bach uh, Barbara Bach, she got the shit end of the stick, man, uh, unfortunately. I hope she's doing okay now, if she's still with us. She is. She's um, still alive. She's like 76 or something. Yeah. That's a bummer to hear about that. So that's two bummers in a row. Mm. <laughs> However, that Toy Fair <laughs> assessment... <laughs> It's pretty fantastic. I love how they were like, oh, yeah, uh, Tonka's making boulders that transform into robots, even though we fucking had Transformers for what? Yep. Five years at that point? When Transformers. <laughs> Trans <laughs> the capital F. I gotcha, gotcha, yeah. Um, yeah, man, and I and I I had Teddy Ruxman as a kid, and I also had the Coleco Alf, which is like sitting right next to me over here that talked to you yep. with the tapes. Um so so i you know that's a big part of my my childhood and uh yeah gotta give it to you man uh the toy fair toy fair news wins how is nice. it possible that they said that teddy ruxpin didn't work i've seen teddy ruxpin play with like heavy metal inside of him and he yeah. would still open his mouth like when did it not work 
<laughs> Apparently in 1986. Maybe it was just the one they had at the booth didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. They were still working the bugs out, right? I mean, I guess. <laughs> I'm Teddy Ruxpin. Take me home with you. I'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that My Buddy Doll, man. Oh. Terrifying. Yeah, it was. That is terrifying. I, Child's Play comes out this uh, a year later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's probably why. Yeah. That, why? Yeah, man. Oh, yeah. It's because of that article, the playing time. <laughs> <laughs> playing things. Sometimes. Words. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I pick up a point in that round, and I get to select our next category uh, for our final one-point round. Uh, let's go over to the music round. Uh, for my music selection, we're heading back to Paisley Park. For the release of a song that started out originally as just an acoustic demo, originally intended for the band Maserati, which was uh, formed by Prince bass player Brown Mark, and you know they're actually signed to Prince's Paisley Park label. So they went to Prince. They wanted a song for their new album. So Prince uh, wrote this song up just as a quick uh, acoustic demo for him. Nothing major. Maserati got a hold of it along with producer David Z. They reworked the song, gave it an irresistible funk groove. Prince heard it and said, yep, nope, taking this back for myself. And on February 5th, 1986, my eighth birthday, Prince dropped the mega hit, Kiss. Uh, Warner Brothers did not want to release the song as a single, but Prince would prove them all wrong as Kiss would go on to be the third number one single following When Doves Cry and Let's Go Crazy. Uh, Now, interestingly enough, on the week that Kiss hit number one on the Billboard 100 chart, the number two song was also a song written by Prince. That was the Bangles' Manic Monday. Uh, Kiss also helped give the Purple One some gold. He won an award for Best R&B Vocal Performance by a Duo or Group and was nominated for Best R&B Song at the 29th Annual Grammy Awards. But not everybody liked this song, so let's head over to our good friends at newspapers.com for a write-up on the On the Record section by writer Bill Novak from the Sheboygan Press. Prince sounds more like a eunuch than a pop idol on this 12-inch signal. His falsetto is grating to the ear. But since this is Prince, look for good sales and airplay. So that's Kiss by Prince, February 5th, 1986. Just a huge hit for the Purple One, man. All right, let's toss it over to Man Crush. What did you bring for the music round? All right, so again, April 13th, 1979. And would you look at that? Just like Mark, I have a single that was released on my first birthday. And obviously, I know of this song. I've heard this song. I knew it was big, but I never actually thought much about it until I started diving into this one. And let me tell you, I have some questions about this content. It's pretty racy. There's some pretty racy <laughs> stuff here. Uh, first, let's get into some figures on this one. The song came out. It was the uh, the artist's seventh studio album that this single came off of. And for the most part, those were basically all disco albums until she released this bad girls album, which was infused with rock. The album itself was massive. It, it went number one of the billboard 200. It became two times platinum. Um, and I mentioned that because this song alone was certified two times platinum. I guess everybody obviously had this on 45 for three weeks. This track hit number one on the billboard hot 100 and basically every chart They meant anything in 1979 and that track, it actually, it won the very first Grammy award for 
best female rock performance, which is kind of weird because I just described to you that it was a disc, like all of our other albums were disco, but we've seen that before with the Grammys. They just kind of say, fuck it. And Jethro Tull. Yeah. What is that? Metal? <laughs> Fucking here. Here's, a, here's an award for you. So obviously this is, this is a dynamo track right here, but let's get into these lyrics. Uh, it's basically just these three verses on repeat. And you guys tell me if this song is not about jizz. Okay. <laughs> I'm certain. I'm certain. As a 43-year-old man, I was listening to this in my car. I was at a stoplight, and I was almost embarrassed because I was like, this, this woman's just talking about jizz right now. So it says, uh, sitting here eating my heart out, waiting, waiting for some lover to call. Dialed about a thousand numbers lately. Almost rang the phone <laughs> off the wall. And then she gets into the chorus. Looking for some hot stuff, baby, this evening. And note there, she's not looking for a hot stuff. She's looking for some hot stuff. I need some hot stuff, baby, tonight. I want some hot stuff, baby, this evening. Gotta have some hot stuff. Gotta have some love tonight. Hot stuff. I need some hot stuff. I want some hot stuff. I need some hot stuff. That's all she says. That's all she says. She's looking for a lover who needs another, don't want another night on my own, want to share my love with a warm-blooded lover, want to bring a wild man back home. I mean, this is this song not about cum? She wants that that load, that yeah, hot load. That yeah. hot load. By, by hot, she means, I think, 98.6 degrees, yeah. to be specific. I mean, it's straight from, straight from the hose, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I can't think of anything. I mean, as a kid, I probably heard this song, and they use it in commercials, and it's been in movies and all yeah, kinds of shit. Yeah, I think Hot Pockets used it for <laughs> Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I don't ever want to eat a Hot Pocket again. Because of you this, you shouldn't I, anyway. Just opens. <laughs> like, oh, what is that? Tripping out oh, of that? Comes out. <laughs> I don't, like, I don't, come on. It's all hot. I hope it's cheese. Burn my tongue on that. But yeah, it's uh, Donna Summer Hot Stuff was released <laughs> on my first birthday. And I don't know. There's a lot of innuendo there. Wow. All right, Drew sure Zachman. <laughs> what did you bring for the music round? Oh, speaking of hot stuff. Uh, yeah. So anyway, um, Everyone's favorite actor put out an album on April 28th, 1998. I didn't remember seeing anything released on my actual birthday, so I went a day ahead. Um, You probably know him, you know, less from his music, more from his movies. Uh, One of the stars from I Now Pronounce You, Chuck and Larry, just go with it. And he was also a a huge star in You Don't Mess With The Zohan. Came out with his third studio album. This album peaked at number one on the U.S. Billboard 200 and featured great hits like Don't Drink the Water, Stay, Wasting Time, and Crush. Of course, I'm talking about Before These Crowded Streets by Dave Matthews Band. He is a phenomenal actor. Now, here's the thing, right? In 1998, I was more so into metal, like things like uh, Fear Factory, Tool, Slayer. I was probably in the new metal by then, you know, Corn. Uh, Probably was listening to Limp Biscuit. I was not a perfect teenager. I apologize. But with that being said, you know, I was not necessarily into Dave Matthews Band, but I knew a lot of hot chicks that were. So even though I wasn't into Dave Matthews Band, I still was into Dave Matthews Band, which never actually paid off for me. <laughs> um, it's a lose lose, man. It really is. It really is. I remember like buying, I would get these albums like as soon as they came out. And Invite I would them also over like, you know, what's. 
<laughs> well, my friends would have parties, so like whenever they would have like the CDs on, I'd be like, "Oh, I know all these songs." So I'm a big Dave Matthews fan. They'd be like, "Yeah, whatever. You're a fucking nerd." So it did not. It did not work. I also had these like giant glasses. So the birth controls. I could I could have listened to every I, every Dave Matthews album like ever in the history of man. I still would not have gotten laid by any of those girls. But um, anyway, just listen to the music you like, kids. That's the moral in this story. Um, don't listen to music just because somebody else might like. Anyway, April 28th, 1998, Dave Matthews Band released before these crowded streets. Did you ever think to offer them uh, some weed? No, I, I never smoked. Yeah, well, you could have just offered That's- it. And be like, oh, we can smoke this weed and listen to this Dave Matthews album. <laughs> hey, you got you girls want some uh, hot stuff? <laughs> you should have pulled out the Incubus album, dude. Well, that, oh, I was also listening to uh, that too, but that but the Incubus that was uh, Science was out then. That oh, was a little heavier. That's a great album, a phenomenal album. Uh, yeah. But they were everybody loved Dave Matthews. You go to Dave Matthews concert, I mean, it was on. Mm-hmm. For, for everybody else not to sell your pick for you or anything but that's actually a fantastic album the version of halloween on that album top notch one of my favorites man <laughs> like makes all those weird fucking noises <laughs> all right let's kick it down to joe for the ruling on the music round <laughs> um yeah i'm not a dave matthews fan at all dude sorry uh <laughs> no it's not for fucking me at all never was um and uh I remember hearing something about Dave Matthews where he like he 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 has this fetish where he like lays under a table and has people like shit on top of a glass table <laughs> over his face. Have you heard about this? <laughs> I didn't know anybody else had the same fetish as I did. <laughs> it's not, I've never heard of him having that, but isn't that called the glass bottom boat? <laughs> I have no idea. How, how man. do you know that? <laughs> My my buddy and I we used to like we used to like talk about all those things like the um, like Dirty Sanchez there was the uh, rusty oh, yeah. trombone the donkey punch and all that yeah yeah the white dragon and the red dragon the Cincinnati bow tie riding the bull yeah 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 and and the glass bottom boat was one of them and instead of instead of like an actual table it might have just been like saran wrap which makes it a <laughs> oh hundred times God. worse <laughs> so you suffocate yourself too no you don't like cover your face you just like put it over your face so it's clear <laughs> he's giving us instructions now to do it. step one that's that is the definition of it that is the step definition one, of it put on your dave matthews album that's the first and foremost <laughs> maybe that's why maybe that's the hot stuff she was talking about put on two step some hot stuff glass bottom boat <laughs> so unfortunately no dave matthews um fair enough <laughs> I'm just I'm just not a big fan. Um, hot stuff. Let me tell you something. Uh, so so on my sh- on, on my show and my and my my co-host show uh, movie dumpster, we have a character who's I, y'all are familiar with Goldar from the Power Rangers, right? Yeah. Well, our character is called Cumdar, and he's made out of cum. <laughs> but he taught you know he still sounds like Goldar, but he's made out of cum. <laughs> you know. And uh, he's he's a fiend in the in the movie dumpster universe, the MDU, um, which is our you know all our movies that we review kind of interconnect together uh, under the umbrella. And it, everything is John Hurt's fault, by the way. Go back, listen to <laughs> Frankenstein Unbound, and get the whole uh, lore dump for the movie dumpster universe. But um, but yeah, you know maybe he would like that song a lot. You know, dropping the hot loads. 
everywhere <laughs> tonight because she's got to have it tonight. Dude, she called a thousand dudes on the phone and couldn't. She's an attractive lady. Why did, would she have to call that many people? <laughs> I That's need a lot of dudes. The stuff. <laughs> it was, like, dude, seriously, if Donna Summer called you, the first call would be like, yeah, I'm coming. Like, like, yeah, of course. What? A thousand? You literally, what? You can have all that hot stuff straight up. <laughs> However too much you want. <laughs> um, transitioning into that, uh, that, that, that song actually not has nothing to do with the actual hot stuff or semen or any bodily fluids whatsoever. But it reminds me of my mom because she loves like the old disco tracks. Right? Wow. There's uh, a segue. <laughs> that's the second thing that just popped in my head. So I remember like, I don't know, like singing that in the car with her and stuff. I never thought of it that way. And now you've ruined that memory for me. So thank you. Um, <laughs> now you know why your mom liked it so much. And now, oh my and God. now I can't eat a Hot Pocket again to whoever brought that up. Thank you very much. And that's why I'm here on this planet on the show from the hot stuff. And it was delivered that night. It sure was. Um <laughs> Man, but I have to go with the purple one. Uh, Kiss is one of those songs uh, that, okay, so the guy described it as, you know, his falsetto is just going fucking crazy. That is one of the best parts of that. When he's <laughs> like, I fucking love that song so much. And then he starts getting like crazy at the end. He's like, <laughs> sign me up, dude. Sign me up. Uh, uh, I mean, what's not to like? He's one of the greatest musicians that has ever lived. And um, all I want is that kiss. I sure do. He dialed up his inner James Brown for that song. Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. Uh, it just makes you want to fucking, <clears throat> you know? Yeah, deliver some hot stuff. That's why I should have taken yeah, this round, because I think <laughs> like it's they're connected in some way. You know what? Here's what you do. You go to the Dave Matthews concert, right? <laughs> they're all you tied, give a girl they're all tied together. <laughs> you right? You and then you give the girl a kiss, and then immediately following, the hot she stuff. gets a little hot stuff. Yeah, yeah there you go. This is a uh, or yeah, synchronicity. Yeah. <laughs> Synch- how do you say? Somebody say it for me because I always synchronicity. Yeah, on that on the entire Sting. round. Yeah, just think of the Police album. It's pretty good. <laughs> Great album. <laughs> All right, well, I pick up another point heading into our first two-point round. I take control of the board. All right, gentlemen, let's go over to the movies round. Ooh, early. I've been waiting. (laughs) All right, my movie pick was released on February 7th, 1986, and this movie earned just over $20 million off a $10 million budget and was originally going to star Mel Gibson and Harrison Ford. Uh, And way before she got her groove back, this film actually marks the debut of Angela Bassett. So let's go to the Sacramento Bee, February 8th, 1986, for an article where the headline reads, FX, a hint of Hitchcock, cops and robbers thriller, just like the old days. Director Robert Mandel's first two films ran into studio executive problems and have been shelved. But his third, titled FX, about a movie special effects whiz who gets dangerously involved with a gangster assassination, is a nifty thriller, fast-moving entertainment. Brian Brown plays the protagonist, Raleigh Tyler, whose uh, visual effects for the movie Vermin from Venus got him banned and deported from his native Australia. 
There are some first-rate performances by Brown and Diane Venera as his lover, Cliff Young and Mason Adams as the government agents, veteran Broadway actor Jerry Orbach as well, and particularly Brian Dennehy doing his best Ooh. acting in his best role ever. Although, oddly enough, guys, Dennehy doesn't appear in this movie till about 44 minutes in. So <laughs> He's more into the second one. And then 30 minutes into the movie, we see a poster in the background for Rambo First Blood Part 2. <laughs> now, Brian Dennehy, of course, played the hard-nosed cop Leo McCarthy in this movie, FX. Well, he also played the crooked cop Teasel in First Blood solidifying my theory that McCarthy and Teasel are the same character because of everything that happened in first blood. He had to leave the small town, relocate. He became a cop. It's, it just fits with it. So the, uh, the writer finishes the article with, we'll be looking for those other Mandel movies. He's a comer. (laughs) He's, he wanted that hot stuff. dude. He's a, uh, he's, a he's a comer. <laughs> I've never heard that. You know, we had a bad headline before. This might be one of the worst quotes ever. He's a comer. <laughs> I need that on a shirt. So am I. He's a comer. This is a guy about effects. Speaking of coming, uh, Robert Mandel's next film would be one of Mike Ranger's favorites of all time. That's 1987's Big Shots. <laughs> He would not return for FX2. John Steers, who was a special effects consultant on FX, actually claimed that he had been offered money from government agencies to simulate the various things that were depicted in the film. So FX actually might be based on some truth. Can't confirm nor deny that. So I give you FX, February 7th, 1986. Wait, did you say that uh, Brian Brown's character, Raleigh, whatever it was, he actually Raleigh got de- he got deported from his home country because of yeah, a movie. Yeah, he got deported from Australia because of the effects in his movie Vermin from Venus. Wow, I, not the actor, the character. Yeah, no, I know. I like that part <laughs> of that movie completely like went over my head because I never caught that. It's a quick <laughs> passing line in like the beginning. That's wild. That's a. I love that movie though. I like the second one too. Yeah, I, I always kind of like the second one better. Because the clown, yeah, it's got the clown. It's more upbeat and funny, whereas FX is a hard nosed crime drama. Yep, and the ending is just spectacular. Spoilers: he super glues <laughs> the gun to the guy's fucking hands and then shoves him out the doors <laughs> to the cops. It's great. <laughs> All right, let's toss it over to Man Crush. What do you have for the movies round? All right, so let's go April 13th, 1979 again. I'm picking all of mine on my birthday. I'm not going to the other days. I'm going where I'm supposed to go. Uh, But thankfully, I was able to locate a sneak preview on my birthday for a movie that I actually like. Uh, This movie right here, it's probably my favorite of the series of uh, six in this one. Uh, It did have a reboot in 2004, and I normally hate reboots, but I actually enjoyed this reboot. Uh, that being said, it's obviously it doesn't hold a candle to the original, but it's good when most reboots are utter dog shit. But um, uh, I turned the ripe age of one in 1979. So unfortunately, I didn't get to see this in theaters, but I'm sure the old Mahoning drive in, which I've been saying incorrectly for the entire time <laughs> we've been uh, recording these podcasts. It's not Mahoning. It's Mahoning. Uh, but um, 
If they haven't played this one, I will definitely go there when they do. Uh, if you're into nostalgia, and I'm sure that you probably are if you're listening to this show, watching an original 35mm cut of a movie is the closest thing to having your own DeLorean to go back in time. And it honestly is. So if you ever have the opportunity to see one of your favorite movies on 35mm, I highly recommend it. I just wanted to drop that in there because Joe was there as well. We got to uh, mm-hmm. to meet Andre Gower on uh, Friday. It was cold as shit and raining the whole time. But it was still a great time. Got to see Monster Squad up on the big screen, just like I did in 1987. It It was worth it. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, But anyways, uh, this movie, it brought in $55 million worldwide. So that's around $223 million in 2021. And this was all done on a $500,000 budget, which is insane. Especially when you have arguably one of the best practical effects guys ever working on this film. Matter of fact, the budget was so low on this horror flick, they couldn't even afford stuntmen. So that same special effects guy that I just meant and that I just mentioned, he attempted to do his own stump where he jumps over a guardrail in the facility that they're in. I'm not going to give it away just yet. And he almost broke his neck in the process of doing that. Uh, he was supposed to jump off into some like empty boxes, completely missed it. Uh <laughs> And the director of this one, he didn't even have dailies to review the film. So they would send the film off to New York to process every single day and then wait for them to provide word if it was a good shoot or not. So it's shocking. It is shocking that this movie came out as legendary as it did with all these limitations and the budget limitations and everything else. And in spite of all that, this was the most profitable of the six in the series. And I actually, I believe that there's a seventh on the way. I think it's coming out this year. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong after I give this one away, if you don't already know it. So if you're in the mood for movies about gray zombies that kind of look like dead Smurfs looting the Monroeville mall, potentially X-rated movies, minus explicit sex cameos by the pagan motorcycle club, fluorescent blood, Volkswagen, Scaracos, Ken Foray, Tom Savini and George Romero. Then you should probably go and watch Dawn of the Dead because that sneak peeked on my birthday, April 13th, 1979. You know what's actually interesting about this thing, too? So every day when they shot in the mall, they can only shoot from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. And it was actually done during Christmas season, which is blows my fucking mind. But they would have gone past 6 a.m. every day. However, the mall was playing elevator music that popped on at 6 a.m. And nobody knew how to shut it off. So they had to stop at 6 a.m. And there's all kinds of stories that came out of the making of this about like, extras going out to the bar that was like apparently across the street and we get drunk before they even got there. So the, the zombies walking around looking like zombies, they were just drunk ass motherfuckers that just came from the bar, <laughs> which is pretty, uh, pretty dope. And uh, George Romero saying that he couldn't even direct these people. They, they were just, oh, there was hundreds of them. He would just be like, uh, just act like zombies. And they did, <laughs> which is pretty awesome. But that's, uh, that's why I pick is Dawn of the Dead. Legendary, my all-time mm. favorite horror movie. Oh, it's oh, really? so good. Do you actually? Do you guys know? Is there a seventh one coming out this year? Um, I'm actually trying to pull that up now. I thought I I have like a list of all the movies coming out, like a nerd, and I'm uh I thought I saw it on there, but coming out to it, my basement since every fucking movie theater is closed. Yeah, it's kind of sad the state of George Romero's films now because he's constrained because of budget limitations, like. Island of the Dead, he got no budget for. 
And then a mm-hmm. remake, the remake of Dawn of the Dead got 10 times more budget oh, yeah. for a remake than he could get to do a new original film. Like when he mm-hmm. wanted to do a Land of the Dead and all those. Actually, I like the remake. I hate most remakes, but that one I actually liked. I, I think it was the cast. It's, it's totally fine. I think that James Gunn had written that movie. That oh, one really? Too. Yeah. It's a Solid good movie. movie. I don't like it as a remake. They could have just changed a few things in the name, and it, sta- sure. it could have stood on its own. But when you make it in a mall, I mean, it's like a foregone conclusion. This is Dawn of the Dead. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah if they made sure. it like in an office complex, like, eh, all right, it could be something <laughs> else. It's in a factory. But in a mall, it's got to be Dawn of the Dead. Flea market. <laughs> Flea market of the dead, yeah. All the zombies have like three teeth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Like, ah, I'm not afraid of you. <laughs> All right, Drew Zachman, over to you. All right. Now, what if I told you there was a movie that starred Patrick Swayze, Randy Travis, and Meatloaf? I feel like that's something you might be interested in, right? And and you probably would. And, and rightfully, you'd probably lose your shit if you found out about that. Well, on May 1st, 1998, our good friends at Universal Pictures gave us that gift. 89 minutes of nonstop heart-pounding action starring these absolute legends where a trucker who has just been released from jail for vehicular manslaughter for accidentally hitting and killing a motorist and his passenger on the side of the road during a trip in which he experienced a black dog hallucination brought on by exhaustion is manipulated into transporting illegal arms. Guys, it happens more often than you think. (laughs) Now... This film pulled in a box office of $12,951 or so back in 1998, or Man Crash will convert it for you, or in 2021 dollars. It's just a little north of $37 billion. So they did pretty well. Now, uh, I am talking, of course, about Black Dog, the Patrick Swayze classic flick. And, I mean, anytime you have a movie involving a truck driver, I mean, you need to watch it, right? I mean, over the top, you have to watch it. Oh, that. over the top, um, yeah. Yeah, truck driver Lincoln Hawk. I mean, yeah, you have to watch it. It's so good. Kenny Loggins. Yeah, got to watch it. Uh, And speaking of great soundtracks, this one also had a great soundtrack. You had some great country acts on there, like Leanne Womack, Red Atkins, Randy Travis, obviously. Uh, Thankfully, there was no Jason Aldean or or Brantley Gilbert because this was before their time. But I still wanted to mention them because they suck and they are terrible. So (laughs) nobody... Jason Aldi and Brantley Gilbert, guys, nobody ever listens to their music. They are shit. Um, anyway, the soundtrack peaked at number 30 on the Top Country Albums chart. Uh, it's, it's a pretty decent flick. I, I saw it a long time ago. Uh, I remember it being halfway decent. I probably should give it a rewatch. But Black Dog, folks. Didn't that get a TV 1st, show as 1998. well? Did that have a TV? I just won that a TV show. I don't remember. Oh, like when he was sick. Like towards uh towards the end, uh, he was on like some TV show. I thought it was like 10, 15 years I ago. Thought it was, I don't uh, think it was I Black it was Dog. That. Maybe I'm wrong. It's the hot stuff. It gets to me. <laughs> <laughs> Messes with it's your little, brain. It's a little too man. hot. Yeah, you're you're overheating from the. It's a little too hot. <laughs> well, let's see what our judge Joe Lascola has to say on his verdict for the movies round. Okay, so I I've never seen Black Dog. Um, the only. The only movies from the 90s that I remember from Patrick that I've seen a lot of are like Next of Kin. Or did Next of Kin come out? That was in the, the 80s. 80s? Yeah. It was late, the 80s. Late 80s. All right. So, so Tu Wong Fu. Uh, thanks for everything, <laughs> Point Julie Newmar. <laughs> Point Break. 
um i never i never saw i never saw a black dog but it sounds cool um so i definitely want to check it out um but it's got meatloaf it's got meatloaf in it the and, meal or know. the singer <laughs> both oh okay i love how meatloaf is in like a bunch of uh like b stuff like he's in a, he's in a tales from the crypt episode he's in like a monsters episode T- the old you know 80s tv series monster or fight 90s club fight <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it started for him with Rocky Horror. I mean, you can't Rocky get Horror, any yeah. more B than that. Oh, yeah, man. Okay, I'll correct so, myself. Uh, it was, uh, the show was called The Beast that I was talking about. The Beast. Oh, okay. It's, clo- it's close to a black Never color. saw it. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> um, But yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I can't, I can't even really weigh in, but it sounds cool. Um, So FX, um, I haven't seen that movie in forever. Um, but I love, I always love the premise of it, you know, the guy going in with, with, you know, doing special effects makeup to be different people to pull off heists and crimes and shit like that. And that's, that's fucking rad. Um, yeah, that's not the plot of it at all. No, <laughs> <laughs> don't they like hire him for some shit to like do, they like, hire do him to fake an assassination of a mob, fake boss. an assassination. And of course, thought, because this is, is that like, the second one? modern film noir there's like 400 billion plot twists which is the one where uh there's like a shower scene is that the first one where he's got a or is it the second one that's the second one okay all right i don't fucking know dude i haven't (laughs) i haven't seen it in forever so fuck me but you know (laughs) but i like the idea uh i should revisit that soon for sure uh, I seem to remember. I seem to remember some movie where I mean, and not Mission Impossible or anything like that, but like uh, you know, using makeup effects to 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 do some kind of I don't know what. To, <laughs> there you go. That was summer school, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Dawn of the Dead, uh, the classic Romero film. Um. Yeah, I mean, you got Savini in there. You you got Ken Furry, like you were saying. Uh, it's a great fucking flick. It's a, it's a classic zombie flick, um, and it's definitely in the wheelhouse um, that I've seen a ton of times. Um, and I'm gonna have to go with that one for sure. Uh, and I'm a little biased. Only you know, I obviously you know I don't remember fucking effects, and I never <laughs> saw Black Dog, but I was probably gonna pick the horror movie anyway. You know what I mean? Um, and nobody can blame you with that one. That's just. <laughs> I mean, if if you didn't, the guys from the Pagan Motorcycle Club probably <laughs> would have come to your door because that mall is not far from where you live. So I'm sure they're still representing in that area somewhere. Oh, yeah, probably. But Joe, don't worry, man. You'd be all right. You could sneak away while they stop to take their blood pressure. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man, crush. Oh, man. You picked up two points and you jump out to the lead, heading into the final round. And of course, that's the hot products round. All right. Uh, since it was my birthday and I won the round, we're going to the last round. I'm going to take the opportunity to defer, and I'm going to give this one to you, Drew. You haven't been here in a while. I'm going to let you double down in the last round. I appreciate it. Although, how did how did we get to hot products in round five? Is what I want to know. <laughs> that never happens. Somebody's got yeah, a usually it's somebody's got a banger here. Some, no, wait, what, what is it? Somebody's got a comer. Somebody's got a comer. Oh boy. Uh all right. So I remember uh, this hot product actually came out on April 28th, so the day before my birthday, but I remember being 
uh, excited about because I didn't actually get a chance to see it in the movie theater. Uh, so this is actually a, a VHS release. But I remember when it came out, I was like, oh, I want to I definitely want to get this movie and, and see it like now, like as soon as it came out. And uh, I went with this pick because, you know, I think I, I actually did get it maybe like a week or so after it came out. Uh, so like a week or so after my birthday, basically. And the movie came out in November of 1997 in the movie theater. I didn't get a chance to see it there. I wanted to, but I just never got around to it. Uh, so like I said, as soon as it came out of VHS, wanted to see it. And the reason why it had, you know, Bruce Willis, it had Richard Gere in there. So, you know, two top notch actors in there, no gerbil, uh, but <laughs> <was> waiting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but the film involves it, basically it's about the hunt for a paid assassin and it's a loose remake of the 1973 British French film, the day of the jackal. Uh, which was actually based on the 1971 novel of the same name. Now, the movie I'm talking about is The Jackal. And box office-wise, it did, it was okay. It grossed $159 million on a budget of $60 million, so not too shabby, not fantastic, but again, it could have been worse. And again, I remember being like stoked for this movie uh, right around my birthday and wanting to watch it. And when I did... Uh, it kind of sucked um, <laughs> so much that Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times called it a, and I'm quoting here, glum, curiously flat thriller. And he also included the film in his worst of 1997, comparing it to the 1973 film and calling it a retread, cruder, and dumped down. Now, I, I decided to go with this pick because I remember wanting, you know, on my birthday, I was like pretty excited to go get this on VHS because it just came out. So that's why I went with this pick. It, it pretty much sucked, but uh, I'm going with this because it, you know, had some significance to my actual 18th birthday. So that's what, uh, that's what I'm going with. The Jackal starring Bruce Willis and Richard Gere. And Jack Black got his arms blown off. Yeah, that's the only memorable part of that entire <laughs> film, man. Not not great. So that's what I have. Wow. All right, guys. So one. my hut product uh, I found in the pages of the Los Angeles Times, February 5th, 1986, right in the top right-hand corner of page three. It's a nice little advertisement that even at the ripe age of eight years old, if I would have seen this, I would have been excited to sign up for this service. Absolutely. Because I was a big fan of this television show. And you'll see why in just a moment. Caught my eye because of the big, bright, unmistakably smiling face of uh, that's featured in this advertisement. Where the copy reads, TV commercial and voiceover training. If you're talented and you want the chance to work in the exciting field of acting and TV commercials, sports or narration, cartoons or newscasting, or spots for radio. Call for a free evaluation or interview. Delmar Media Arts. Now, on the left-hand side of that, smiling right back at you with that friendly, dimpled grin is none other than Mr. Gordon Jump from WKRP. It has a big picture of him, and it says, Gordon Jump, WKRP. All students work with Mr. Jump. Now, the school is actually still open, and it is called Multimedia Arts. It's the school for television and commercial acting and voiceovers. So the school was actually founded in San Diego over 30 years ago. And on the Multimedia Arts website, their description now reads, it's the school and place where you can develop your talents and learn the business aspects of professional recording, demo tapes, auditioning, marketing, and more. 
So Gordon Jump actually has a bio on the page as well, talking about he was associated with the school since its inception. He helped create the content of the courses. And before his passing, he was a full-time instructor. He was an advocate for the school teachers. And of course, Gordon Jump was best known for WKRP in Cincinnati. And as the Maytag TV man on TV, we miss him dearly, it reads. And I agree with their sentiments. So this is what I would have wanted, man. The chance to work with Mr. Gordon Jump from WKRP. Are you telling me I can be just like him and run a radio station? Be fantastic. <laughs> I get Venus Flytrap to work for me, man. When you said Gordon, <laughs> the way you, you were like slow, I pictured the Gordon's Fisherman. And then all I pictured <laughs> was dude in yellow slickers the whole time. I that would have been awesome. I know that's Gorton, but whatever. Same right. totally Whatever. <laughs> all right, man, crush. Let's kick it over to you. What do you have for the hot products round? What all are you right, holding we, out on, man? Well, uh, we probably should have prefaced this whole round with this. If this is your first birthday battle on dueling decades, things are slightly different than they are with a regular episode. Instead of the product launching on a particular date like we normally do. Instead, we have to pick a product that was from an ad that was run on our birthday. So that's where we're coming from with these. But my particular product, this uh, this hot product, was released in 1977. And it was something that I actually owned in the early 80s before we had the Atari 2600. Uh, so for me, this is a very cool find because I completely forgot about this game. Uh, when I moved out of my parents' house, this is like over 20 years ago, I, I remember still having this game suction cup to the top of my Atari 2600 dome case. Remember those cases that uh, it had like this uh, see-through plastic top? Well, this yeah. game that I'm talking about had suction cups on the yeah, bottom. Yeah, yeah. Mine was suction cup right to the top. Um, and I think I mentioned this on the show before, but uh, my mom had donated all of my shit to Goodwill when I moved out. So mostly the like the toys and the game systems, all that was given away. But yet they kept thousands of fucking baseball cards that now reside in my basement, like 20 feet away from where I'm sitting right now. And they're worth like 13 bucks. So uh, <laughs> thank you to my mom and dad. But uh, this hot product, this was the Coleco Telstar Combat video game system. Uh, it was coming in at the sale price of 49 87 and drew like this because that's about 200 bucks convert in it 2021 it <laughs> uh the original price was 69.87 and then it, it kind of makes you think like what kind of demented soul would end their prices with 87 cents that's like turning your television up to like volume number 23 or like some other oddball number if it ain't fucking evens or it's not 99 like just don't do it but they did it in this one uh, but anyway, in the late 70s, like obviously Pong was king and uh, Coleco was trying to create a better video game experience. So they released a Telstar, which they had like a dozen different iterations of this. And each iteration of the Telstar had several games on it. And the combat series had four tank games of its own. So you had combat, which is basically like it. It's almost exactly the same as Atari's combat. Then you had night battle, robot battle, and camouflage combat or something. Uh, I'm going to give you a spoiler. Uh, they're basically all the same shit, uh, just different lighting. Same same thing. It was 1979. What do you want? Uh, but the key selling feature of the Telstar was the design. And you can find these things on eBay now. They're like hundreds of dollars. 
and they're still they look exactly like they did in 1979. These fuckers were built to last. Uh, but what they did with this particular model in the combat, it was a green triangle with a like it had like camouflage stickers on it. And then there's four joysticks. So there, it's a two player game. So each person had two joysticks. They plug it in their television and each person you had forward and back and left and right. And you go around shooting each other. And, you know, whenever somebody hit you, you can just punch the motherfucker right next to you because they're literally six inches away from you. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, this thing, it, it was obviously beat out by the competition, namely the Atari. Um, and almost basically put Coleco out of business because they had all these oh, different iterations of like, I think total, I think there was 14 different Telstars and by the late seventies, Atari and everybody else. I think I forgot the name of the other two that were out at the time, but they kind of killed them. So they had all these sitting in the shelves and that's why this fucker was 4987. Um, but it, it wasn't all bad. This was the first peripheral based system for gaming. So something that Nintendo would bring back, like in the mid eighties, they they bring it back with the zapper and the power glove and the rob and all that shit. So it wasn't all awful. Uh, and just talking about this right now, it made me realize that when we did the last birthday bash or birthday battle rather with um, with Robert Tepper, our boy, back in February, I had the Adam Coleco yeah. or the Coleco Adam, whatever you want to call it, on the last yeah. birthday episode. Um. And this was something I wanted to bring up on the last episode, and I never did. But do you guys know much about Coleco? Because it's one bizarre fucking company. And I think you guys might have mentioned a toy that was made by Coleco. Uh, I, I know yeah. Joe picked, uh, talked about ALF. So they began in the 30s, and they they made like leather products for shoes. Not even shoes, just leather products for shoes, like during you know World War II and all that shit. Then like in the 50s, they made leather moccasins. And then in the 60s, they made cheap, like, toy above-ground pools. And then they started to branch off into toys in the late 60s. And then in the early 70s, they made fucking snowmobiles. What? Like, what? What kind of business model is that? Yeah. And then, then of course, they came out with the Telstar, like, mid to late 70s. And then somehow they stumbled. Well, they made handhelds after that. Then somehow they stumbled into the fucking Cabbage Patch Kids in the early eighties and made like all this fucking buku bucks. Then they made the Adam yeah. computer and then they made the alpha doll and then they went fucking bankrupt. And then Hasbro <laughs> bought them up and tore the shit apart. But it's, mm-hmm. it's a fucking wild story. If you go back and look at Coleco, like it's like, wow, like snowmobiles, like, huh? But That's insane, yeah, this, man. Uh, but this is the Telstar combat. This is what I would have wanted. Probably at one years old, I probably would have been gnawing on it instead of playing it. <laughs> But it's, it's fucking cool. I wish I still had it because I probably would have it in the studio somewhere. But yeah, Telstar Combat made by Coleco, who makes snowmobiles <laughs> and above ground <laughs> swimming pools and moccasins. Awesome. All right. Well, let's throw it down to Joe Lascola for the final ruling on this game. Okay. Uh, so. My my dad actually used to own a video store with his brothers uh, called Video Time in Bricktown. Uh, I think it was like one of in Bricktown, New Jersey. Excuse me. Uh, it was like one of the first rental stores specifically for video games uh, at the time, like the early nineties. Um, and I never had I never had any of the uh, uh, Atari stuff. 
I've only, you know, I've only had like Genesis and, and you know, Nintendo and all that shit. So um, I can see how awesome <laughs> this thing you is. Like, see the the, like you're saying, well, while you're talking, I'll see if I can dig one up. It sounds fucking cool. And you mentioned like ROB and all that stuff and, and the periphery, uh, you know, the additions to the console games that kind of interacted with you as you were playing. I thought that was so cool. Oh, I remember having like giant pad two playing fucking burger time on it um, <laughs> on the ground on the floor. Um, but uh, can you see that thing? Holy shit, dude, it's huge. Yeah. Look how it's like a big console. Tell me you couldn't knock the motherfucker out sitting next to you if you like <laughs> <laughs> just like uppercut Dude, him. Be like, I won. <laughs> that's really awesome, man. Um Yeah, I I've never played that before, but that's that looks a little awesome. bit more green there. <laughs> that reminds there me go. of those uh, steel that steel battalion controller. Yeah. You ever see that thing? Dude, yeah. and this thing yeah. was a beast too. It like it had yeah. good weight to it. I saw a video on YouTube and the dude pulled it out of the box and plugged it in. And his shit still worked. It was like, that wow. is awesome. Well, if it fell off the back of your snowmobile, it would still work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then you can make a swimming pool. <laughs> well, you put it, you see, it connects to the snowmobile so you can fucking drive it. <laughs> that, that was all the leftover you... parts, probably. <laughs> they made it what are we going to do with all these snowmobiles? <laughs> make this fucking video game. <laughs> now, what about these moccasins? Yeah. <laughs> I got it. We're going to play it. You have to be in our pool. You got to buy the pool, right? That, that's part of the package. And you got waterproof moccasins on. So waterproof moccasins. Yeah. On. You're good. It's genius. It's genius. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, and, and, and also, you know, uh, Mark, he, that's such a fucking cool um, idea. I, I always loved uh, making voices as a kid and like watching cartoons and like replicating them and, and, and just impersonating people and stuff. And, and, you know, now, I'm, you know, I fucking do a podcast so that that's, you know, I totally get uh, the allure of that. And that's such a that's such a neat thing. So that's that's really cool, too. Um, and then Drew, like. I know that that's a big feeling too. that, that, you know, having that VHS come out and you have to wait, right? Because it was still yeah. at that time where, you know, you had to wait for the movie to come on cable or you had to wait for it to drop on, on, uh, you know, physical media. Um, yep. and it just reminded me of the time. Now I, I've never seen the fucking Jackal and I don't plan on watching it. I remember, <laughs> I remember the cover. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I remember specifically uh, when Mortal Kombat dropped and I was thinking about that the other day because we had just done an episode on Movie Dumpster for Mortal Kombat from 1995. Um, uh, yeah, just, you know, I, I was so fucking psyched when that movie come out. And I and I uh, I remember like getting the VHS and, and the soundtrack and shit. And it was just really all it was just a really awesome time and the anticipation of that. So I totally I, I feel that, too. So, uh, you know, it, it's a tough one because I was, I was saying like all these things are part of kind of who I am, like the voice acting kind of thing and the video games and the and the, and the, the movies and the, the VHS and stuff um obviously but um man this is a tough one um i think i'm going to go with the voice acting oh and the reason i'm going to go with the the reason i'm going to go with the voice acting is because that is something that i seriously considered as a career for a little while um and it's still kind of residual. Like I do a bunch of voices on the show and shit like as a goof. But, um, you know, it, it's something that I, I always wanted to like act and, and shit like that. So, so you, you never thought about driving a tank. 
<laughs> I've done it. You know what I mean? Like I, I drove the fucking, I drove the snowmobile with the fucking, uh, the controller. Um, I watched the movie on the tape, but like that, that's something I never, I, I always wanted to do and never really pursued. So I think if I had a chance to do it again, if I saw that ad, I'd go, I'd go do that. <laughs> so damn, that was a so deep yeah. cut, man. Yeah. <laughs> I it wasn't really that funny because I was I was just enamored with everything you guys were talking about and it just made me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. No, it's so. just it's just like usually we um that's why I kind of like I kind of like the ads when we do the birthday episodes because you have more flexibility to pick things that you come yeah. across and that's a deep cut that yep. I, as soon as you said it I was like oh fuck that like he just he <laughs> he dug a, a win right there like I I felt it I was like. <laughs> Like fuck, the Telstar is not gonna. I was like, let me just bullshit about Coleco and see what happens. It was interesting as fuck, though. Uh, I gotta tell you, sometimes you have to bullshit. Gotta go find myself a Coleco pool to go hang out in. <laughs> yeah, honestly, it was the absolute first ad I found when researching. And as soon as I saw it, I saw Gordon Jump's face. I'm like, I'm done. That's it. Sign me That's up, man. Cool, man. That, I mean, I grew up <laughs> watching WKRP, and I actually went to college mm -hmm. for radio broadcasting. So seeing Gordon mm -hmm. jump at a young age and being like, you know, you could be just like me, be a fuck off, and still run your own radio station. <laughs> yeah. It'd be great. So, yeah, just an absolute And make money cool. doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Joe, thanks a lot for being our judge on this episode. Why don't you tell all of our listeners a little bit about your show, Movie Dumpster Podcast? Yeah, totally. Thanks for having me. Uh, me and my two other co-hosts, Sean and Connor, we talk we talk about the the good, the bad, and the god awful, man. Uh, everything from uh, horror to sci-fi to action to drama, all that bullshit in between. Uh, bad kids movies that you haven't seen in years. <laughs> um, all kinds of good stuff. Um, and you know, we do deep dives into a lot of the films that we, uh, that we review, um, with some, you know, some, some fun behind the scenes stuff, but it's mostly a comedy show. Cause you know, it'd be pretty fucking boring if we sat there and we're like, and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened. Um, so we try to spice it up a little bit <laughs> and we have our whole, uh, uh, MDU universe where all the movies connect and again there's characters like Kumdar and Daniel Baldwin is himself uh, John Hurt <laughs> is himself playing Joe Buchanan from Frankenstein Unbound um, who's ripped a hole in the space-time continuum with the uh, with the Buke cannon um, it's a whole fucking thing you need to go listen to the show to understand but you don't have it's you don't have to uh, know that stuff exclusively to listen Um you know, just tune in if you want to listen to us talk about some movies in a in a comedic aspect. Um, but yeah, you can find us on uh, you know Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Movie Dumpster or MovieDumpsterPodcast.com. and you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, and we got a Patreon, we got a shop. So yeah, uh, definitely go check it out and uh, see see if you dig it and for sure. That's a dope shirt. I'm gonna pick one of those up. Can throw that out there. That that's pretty fucking awesome. Uh, Cool. I like it. I would wear <laughs> Thanks, that around. Man. And dude, if you have you guys ever had Daniel Baldwin on the show? No, uh, I feel like I would love to reach out to him and just see what he says. <laughs> and he would have no fucking clue because he would never listen to the show. Right. He would just be like, yeah, all right, I'll do this stupid thing. Dude, he's awesome. Oh, man, like, that's kind of like that's like a dream. He was on our old show. Like, shit, this is 
this is so oh old. he was like you did yeah like five years ago and uh he's fucking awesome oh, shit, at the end dude. of the show he's like is he 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 started he he came up with this uh this game show that we were talking about where uh we send prisoners to an island where they kill each other he, it's just people from death yeah. row and he's like oh dude this is a great idea and we'll have howie mandel will be the host and he's getting all into it then at the end of the show like we get off the air and he's like dude here's my cell phone number text me and we'll like we'll throw some ideas back and forth so like Whoa. like months go by and uh I, I mark i think you were on the show at this point i was like yeah. should we try to get daniel Baldwin back on the on you know like i have his cell phone number so i text him i'm like hey you know it's man crush from poop culture uh you want to come back on the show you know we'll, we'll pick the up where we left off and he's like who is this <laughs> new phone who this? <laughs> whoopsie it's like all right. So all the allegations that we've made in the MDU are correct. He's just like a crazy drunk guy. Um, <laughs> Dude, he's <laughs> from, a, from yesterday's from yesterday's talk. He's a great storyteller, like amazing storyteller. Oh, I believe yeah. it, dude. He tells a story about John Carpenter dur- on that episode. Actually, oh geez, oh we we did vampires. Oh yeah, yeah. So we were talking about vampires. We actually just re-released that when Mark was yeah. moving his house. We released that episode. Yes. <laughs> Just this past fall. So it's it's there. It's in our lexicon if you want to go and listen to it. Yeah, totally. He's uh, He tells this story about John Carpenter and them meeting with executives and them telling, like, John Carpenter is, like, telling them this story. And the guy was like, yeah, that's not scary. And then John Carpenter goes in this whole thing. And I'm not going to give it away. Like, go go to that episode. Just, like, just find that one portion. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> it's just like, wow, that's what happened. <laughs> oh, man, I got to listen to that. And Drew Zachman, man, uh, you just missed your Songs Gone Wrong partner, Dave Schultz. He was here a couple episodes back. Yep. Uh, what That's do right. you guys got going on on the show? Yeah, so we have, uh, I'm trying to think, I think we have Popular, probably will be up by time uh, this episode airs by Not A Surf. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and then we have some Soundgarden. We have one by Metallica. We do, do a little history lesson in World War One oh, on that sick. one. I'm actually stoked about that one. And then... Uh, and then we have uh, Gangsta's Paradise by Coolio. Everybody needs to talk about Coolio. So that's what we have coming up on our show. Did you know that Dave is into wrestling now? <laughs> oh, God. And if you don't know, listen to the last episode. I don't. And you'll. I don't want to know. Away. The controversy abounds. <laughs> controversy. Did you know Coolio did a movie with Daniel Baldwin called In Pursuit? <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> that we did on our show. Full circle. He also Here we did go. another. <laughs> yeah. It's all connected, dude. <laughs> so amazing. Uh, it's insane. He plays like a Spanish guy who uh, doesn't want to be Spanish. I believe that. It's fucking weird. Uh, you got to check it out. Dude, the dude from Quantum Leap is his dad. Not, uh, not what's his name? Scott, Scott Bakula. Bakula? No, oh, it's Scott Dean Bakula, Stockwell. the other guy. Dean Stockwell. Dean Stockwell is his dad. Yeah, Wait, it's fucking. Dean Stockwell is Coolio's sure. dad? No, no, he's Daniel Baldwin's oh. dad. <laughs> I was like, wait, Dean Stockwell is Coolio's dad and he's playing an Hispanic guy? Like, I gotta see this. This sounds amazing. No. It makes sense. <laughs> Daniel Baldwin fights a fucking puma in the back of a truck. <laughs> you gotta see it, dude. It's insane. Um, That's like, I need a paycheck. Just put me in whatever. Dude, you're fighting a puma. <laughs> Dean Stockwell <laughs> was Baldwin's dad. Ziggy was uh, was Coolio said? <laughs> yeah, I definitely. I, I'll I'll see oh, that. Man. Is that one on like Prime or something? 
I don't know. It might be one of those things that's on Tubi or Prime. Uh, again, that was like that was our second season, so that was a couple of years ago. I'm not sure exactly where it is uh, right now because it doesn't sound like anything I want to purchase. But definitely check it out. But it's <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's available for free. <laughs> oh, it's dude, it's a it's a hoot. You gotta you gotta watch it. <laughs> it's called In Pursuit. Yes, we'll check it out. I'm already gonna get shit from my wife when she sees that I paid a dollar ninety nine for a Dukes of Hazard episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jewelers. gotta see the skinny dipping uh, chicks with the shotguns. <laughs> what is this, Deputy Dukes? Is this porn? Skinny dipping and double crossing. Nice. Well, on that note, Duelers, we're gonna have to end this episode right here. But don't worry, you can always go over to the brand new DuelingDecades.com, where you can find all of the information. It is now your one-stop shop for the show, and you can find all the links for our Patreon our website, our Facebook, our Twitter, all of the socials right in the show notes right below this episode. So until next time, duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Podcast New York. Be heard.